Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Happiness and Humans. My name is Matt Phelan. I am your host today, and my guest is Laura. Laura, um, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, there, everyone. Um, my name is Laurentia, or Laura Campbell. Um, I am someone who has a lot to talk about when it comes to happiness. So, Laura, um, the reason I invite you on is because you posted an article around some research um, regarding mental health and sleep. Um, but before we get into that, and look, there's lots of stuff we want to talk about today, um, I ask every one of my guests um, a really important question, which is what makes them happy? And I know this is something you think about a lot. So I'd, I'd love to ask you that question, Laura. What what makes you happy? Oh, well, I'm afraid I'm one of those people who is um, very much a, my, my family always call me Tigger because I'm, I always bounce back. Um, I always believe that, you know, um, you know, happiness is, is something that's is, is a journey. Um, it's, it's never, you know, you're never fixed in one place. Um, and it, we're always in constant state of flux. But I certainly have the things I know that make me joyful. Um, yes. They are very much my F's, uh, which sounds for very, um, which is my uh, family, my friends, fun, uh, forests, flowers, uh, fresh fruit and veg and fiber and fish. Um, and uh, my staying fit for my fitness um my um i love making things um love getting creative um i love autumn and i love the seasons i love the color yellow i always think you know the darker the weather the brighter my wardrobe yeah um i think i'm quite uh I, my, my grandmother is someone who is always very much lived lives in me and she always said you know after the sun comes the rain and after the rain the sun and I always believe that there's 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 always something you know every not every day has to be the most amazing day but there is always yeah. something small in every day that can make you happy and yeah we just got to hang on to those little bits and, and roll with them. I love that I love that Laura and, and Laura before we start getting into the into the research you're you're interested in this area for personal reasons as well. Um, I'd love you just to share a bit of um, bit of your story with with our listeners too, if that's okay, Laura. Yeah, sure. Um, I should start by saying that um, I'm one of the most lucky people in the world, a lucky Laura, um, because uh, I've had a very you know interesting, diverse, and pretty damn amazing life. Um, yeah. I'm. I've done so much in quite a short period of time. I feel like I've lived a hundred years in one already. Um, and I've had lots of, well, like partly my, 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 I'm very driven person. I've created my own opportunities, but partly as well that, um, you know, I've, I've got, I've got a big family who, you know, who are very diverse and multicultural and have added so much to my life. And through that, they, I've learned so much more than, you know, I believe I would have had access to. So, um, I, um, Grew up in London, um, went to university, studied uh, biomedical sciences, had a, a very amazing university experience. Then went and worked with, left university after studying my sciences and worked as a science translator where I come, my job was essentially helping businesses to set up as a business analyst, where I worked with over a thousand businesses. Um, and I also, you know, worked helping, you know, translate very complicated science information into layman's terms. Um, I got in this time I got very I was always been an athlete always been from a very fit family um, my brothers are into his rugby my sisters into you know we're all into our sports and I've always been an athlete um, and so I ran 44 half marathons and a marathon 
and wow. uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I was in, actually, what, in what period? Of, in what period of time? So that was in a year in, in 2016 to 17. So um, 44 half marathons and a marathon within a 12 month period. Is that right? Yeah, that, well, wow. it was 16 months actually, technically. Um, wow. I think we started off with Windsor and then finished off with London. I think if you'd said two years, we'd, we'd still have been impressed. Oh, well, I, I mean, I had all my Strava targets and all that stuff and, you know, run-tastic and met all my, met all my uh, targets with that. Um, raising a lot of money for charity, which I really enjoyed. But my, um, I was put on a, I went to see an NHS nutritionist and she put me on a, on a meal plan that basically included a, a my uncle also had a heart attack. Um, and so at the same time, so anyway, I was put on a very much a diet that was very much about you know reducing cholesterol and in, increasing um to stop you know you know build up heart disease at the time that was very much the public health messaging and yeah. also to um boost um uh you know to encourage you know to carb up for all the running um unfortunately and, we do and need... laura just a quick question before you move forward yeah did you did you go to the nhs because well, I, it was it was it was a long story, but basically it started off. Running. Yeah, it started off because I was doing the running, and then also because um, I started losing weight, but um, because of I think because I wasn't having enough dietary fat, because that's what they were telling me was healthy. Um, and yeah. you know, everyone was saying, "Don't do dietary fat because you'll get half heart attack." Um, you know, right? Cholesterol is bad, 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 bad. Yeah. Um, anyway, as a result of that, um, you know, I went on and got something called Athletes Triad. Where basically you need LDL cholesterol to make um, to make serotonin, which is your brain happiness hormone, um, yeah. your transmitter, um, and you also need it to make estrogen. And estrogen is, of course, a mood stabilizer. Yeah. Um, and so when my estrogen level went down, my mood also went down. And in 2017, I, I went on and got very very depressed um, and anxious. And it was nothing really to do with my life situation had a very good job that I loved, uh, great friends, great family. Um, and, you know, there was nothing there, really. It was just very simply that the food was impacting my mood. And um, it really, really got, I got very, very low. And, in, you know, I had a very, very dark places that I went to in 2017 um, that actually comatosed in me having a nail heart attack at, in 2017 and having to be hospitalised. Um, my, I've got bradycardiac, bradycardia, uh, uh, and basically my heart rate went to 23, um, and, uh, yeah, I nearly wow. died. Um, and I mean, to the extent that, you know, they, they put me on like a, a machine lift thing and, and I land up being, and then having to go into a inpatient, um, uh, anorexia hospital for a, for a long time. And then I had to work for a long time getting that back recovery and working with anxiety and, you know, really learning how to refine myself because it was really hard to be this anorexic identity when I, you know, I love food and I always have. And it's hard to be this put in this label that I didn't really feel fit when really it was just the effect of neurotransmitters in my brain that had just, you know, been impacted by the food that I was eating. So that went on. And then after that, I, I went on and studied um, I I left that and went on, on and studied neuroscience um, and then from then I learned a lot about the brain I then went and worked as a teacher and that definitely didn't suit me I, I loved I love working with young people and I love yeah. I so love studying and everything like that but um, teaching is not necessarily you know helping people 
as much as the idealists like to, like myself like to believe. Uh, yeah. Well, I'd like to say I'm a very much a realistic idealist and optimist. Uh, um, uh, you know, I, a tragic optimist. I, I know the realities of life. Um, and uh, anyway, basically, I then went... Laura, can we yeah. just go back a couple of steps? Because I, I, do, I do think there's some such interesting things in that story. So... It isn't finished. I mean, from then, I then went on and then went and worked for the Centre for Entrepreneurs um, and then helped more people set up businesses. And then I set up my own business, helping to translate complex science information into layman's terms. And now I'm studying um, at King's College um, under, well, you know, where, you know, we've got the amazing people like Tim Spector and all, all of the top um, uh, food scientists, you know, not wishy-washy, uh, you know, nu nutrition, proper food science who are investigating. And I'm looking at the effect of food on mood um, and basically, really, I'm working with fantastic organisations like Food for the Brain and Nutritank and, you know, um, St. George's Hospital and, uh, you know, tons of amazing food startups. Um, and basically what we're doing uh, and, you know, at the Good Food Institute and all, all these amazing places is we're really looking um, to, to find out how food affects your mental health and, uh, and also about, you know, what you can do as an individual to ensure that you know you optimize yourself for, for happiness and also to recognize that you know not every day can be amazing but so how yeah. do you how do you make the best out of the bad the bad times and as well and you know always stay stay on stay on track uh, laura i love i love that phrase optimize for happiness and there's there's so many bits i just want to go back to and, and just pick out there for, for our listeners because some of it is so interesting so if I've understood it, one of the reasons that you went to the NHS originally is because there was a, a link to heart attacks and so on in your family. Have I understood that correctly? No, no. It's just that that was just because I, that was the messaging I was having in the background. My uncle right. had a heart attack at the same time, and so okay. you know everyone was going, you know, like you know, we suddenly swapped on our family. I was living at home at the time, and yeah. what we switched to having more lean fat and you know everything. It all just, I just suppose it was, it was the perfect storm, all the things happening at the same time, with me doing the increased running, everyone saying to carb up, my uncle yeah. having a heart attack, you know, me, my mood going down. And when you're also, this is a big thing, anxiety is an appetite suppressant. So basically yeah. what it does is it causes your gastric motility to slow down. And as your gastric motility slows down, unfortunately, it, it can, you know, makes you not as hungry. So my appetite went down. Um, and as as also as 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 I was trying so hard to be healthy, I became very obsessed with you know learning about nutrition and things like that. And so I was working really tried hard at being healthy. And at the time, all the messaging around health was very much you know the public health was very much you know, anti-fat and pro yeah. you know uh, you know all this like gut microbiota and fiber and stuff. Which you know healthy doesn't necessarily have to mean weight loss. But yeah. that's the background messaging that was very much going on and so you, even in attempts to be healthy sometimes you can inadvertently get caught up in marketing that's not necessarily backed by science absolutely and did you did you mention a link between cholesterol and serotonin when, when yeah so basically it? serotonin is our brain neurotransmitter and basically our brain is made of 60 percent fat so we actually need dietary fat in order to make you know these essential brain chemicals such as estrogen testosterone progesterone um, and also, uh, I, I should mention here that um, as your as your serotonin and your estrogen go down, your cortisol, which is your stress hormone level, go up, um, and your ability to sleep also goes down. And mm. when you don't sleep, sleep 
a lack of sleep makes your body go into flight or flight stress mode. And so basically yep. what that results in is more, more cortisol hormone being released. Um, and then you do things like you, you land up taking more, more coffee and, you know, things like that. Um, and coffee also works by reducing sleep further. Um, and so you land up therefore getting into this vicious cycle where you're producing more and more cortisol. And then the more stressed you get and the more anxious you get, um, unfortunately, the less serotonin and the less estrogen you make because yeah. they're all made of the same uh, precursor um, in the biological synthesis, which is the biological mm. pathway, which is um, which is cholesterol. So basically cholesterol goes on and makes this thing called DHEA and DHEA, um, um, uh, which is all part of the steroid, uh, the steroid hormone um, pathway, um, is uh, required to make uh, estrogen, testosterone and progesterone and all these hormones. But also cortisol, what it does is if you have too much cortisol, it steals away that DHEA. So you, your, your body focuses on, on the bigger priority, which is essentially running away from the perceived threat. And yep. the perceived threat, of course, is, is the stresses. So you focus on making cortisol over making these other hormones, just in the yep. same way it focuses on running on making cortisol over your immune system, which is why you get immune suppressed and you get, uh, you know, you get ill when you're stressed. And it's also why you don't make fertility hormones because your body focuses on running away from stress over your fertility. It also yep. focuses on, you know, making the stress hormone over your digestion, which is why you don't feel as hungry. And then when the when you do relax and you feel chill, your appetite comes back a lot more, which is why some right. people land up gaining weight when they're when they're stressed because it's it's the the cortisol essentially going when they start to chill that um you know sw swapping from your your sympathetic to your parasympathetic uh, nervous system that basically it makes you very very you know your appetite come back with a huge amount which is what can lead to things like binge eating later on yeah so this, it's, it's, it's it's all so interlinked and um basically it's you know we're trying to reduce that cortisol stress hormone because you you, you know the more stressed you are the less happy you can be really yeah, it's so, it's so fascinating. We've talked in, in previous podcasts because I was definitely someone who used alcohol to relax and then like yeah. coffee the next morning because I hadn't slept to like perk me up. And it's it's all a downward spiral. And yeah. but I also resonate with the eating thing as well. Like that, since giving up alcohol, binge eating is definitely one of my challenges because it's like I relax and then suddenly my mind switches to eating food that I've not wanted to eat before. So even me personally, that I'm resonating with so much of, of what you're saying there. Well, alcohol itself, I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite open to the fact that I don't drink because of the fact that um, basically alcohol makes you produce more cortisol. And cortisol, of course, is something that is, I mean, I, I, I have, I don't, I can, I can manage it in like, you know, your soups and things a little bit here and there, a bit of more wine at Christmas, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I'm not a big drinker because of the fact that it it really really affects my mood and it makes me stressed and yeah I, it does I mean, most people most people do it I mean, yeah they still drink um because yeah essentially it, it increases that cortisol makes you stressed and it's you know if you're trying to if you're if you're trying you know if a lot of people out there right now are you know trying to get pregnant and things like that and men and, and women I mean uh, and basically they're really impacting their fertility because of the fact that their body is focusing on you know this detoxifying the alcohol and reduce and you know that all the alcohol produces is is, is all that cortisol so they're yeah. you know they're not making the estrogen and the progesterone and also it stops your sleep it and you know that sleep 
that you know once you break your sleep wake sleep cycle it's very very hard to to get into that and i mean you contacted me about an article i did which was all on basically the phase of sleep yeah basically we have these i mean it's hugely disputed about how many different phases every single professional says it differently but i really just go on the idea that we essentially just keep it simple which is we have slow wave sleep and rapid eye movement sleep Um, and rapid eye movement sleep is, is the one that you need for your emotional reconciliation um and you know emotional processing and memory reconciliation so if you want to if you want to be able to to think logically um and to switch your brain from being on your very emotional focused amygdala or amygdala focused brain um with your nucleus albumins um in your brain if you want to switch from that really emotional you know less less stress resilient um a focused system which is not necessarily a bad thing i mean being emotional is fantastic it makes you more able to find opportunities makes you more empathetic makes you more creative it's definitely nothing i mean this this kind of archaic idea that being emotional um, makes you less um you know strong is absolute rubbish mm-hmm. because you know some of the most strategic thinking and, and the most creative and innovative thinking comes from our, our, our amygdala and our nucleus acumens but anyway when you are in in that a kind of sleep deprived mode you focus very much on 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 your on your amygdala and your nucleus acumens and so your brain doesn't focus as much on on you know it it doesn't use it doesn't come out with an uh, a strategic approach from your what's known as your prefrontal cortex of your brain and the prefrontal cortex is the part of it that helps you to find logical solutions it helps you to um rationalize it helps you to strategically find solutions um, it helps you to, you know, minimise um, potential anxieties um, and, you know, to think less black and white kind of flawed thinking patterns, um, yeah. catastrophize less. Um, and, you know, all, all of your, all of the, you know, uh, you know, I don't know if you know about CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, but they often talk about these flawed thinking methods. And a lot of them come out of our inability to switch from our, our kind of to this, this prefrontal cortex focused brain and when you're stressed you're tired you're ill you're hungry you know you're you know haven't had much exercise all these things your brain is very very much focused uh it, it, you know you don't on, on that stress that stress response and so you really do lose that in, that ability to think straight yeah and and laura the, the particular article that, that that i read was that the headline it was around mental health wasn't it um yeah, what, well, that is what, quite what, niche. Yeah, and what what if 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 we've got a listener here that's that's coming new to this subject, like what are the top two or three things that w- that we should share with them around the link between mental health and and sleep? Well, I'd like to start by saying that when it comes down to sleep, sleep is an absolute priority. Every single person should should prescribe themselves as much sleep as possible. I mean. Uh, you contact me in regard to an article because at that time I was working with a fantastic organisation called Sleep School with Dr Guy Meadows, um, who's recently focused in, you know, been um, been in an article in the Sunday Times. But he has this app uh, where basically they are working very hard to help people to sleep. Um, and it's also, you know, really, uh, it is an absolute national priority. It should be a national priority because a lack of sleep is, is, is endemic. So many people aren't sleeping at the moment and insomnia is gone levels have gone through the roof this is partly because of too much time on our phones which is blue light um it's also because we know we've had a lot of time after covid and things like that of working from home 
and you know so therefore our bedrooms have become our workspace as well yeah less exercise got more obesity causing inflammation and you know all of these things are, are making it harder for us to sleep much more of an ultra processed diet um but anyway sleep is so essential for your mental health you when you're tired you you're you're so much less resilient to stress so yeah. much you know things that would not normally affect you suddenly become so much more of a big issue yeah. You know, tiny, tiny little things that a colleague might say, a friend, suddenly become a massive issue. Um, and, and, you know, you, you find yourself being very, very, uh, you know, irritable, angry, hungry, because it increases ghrelin. And, We've all been there. Yeah, well, it, it directly affects your, your gut hormone. So it increases ghrelin, which is your um, hunger hormone, um, and reduces leptin, which is your satiety, your, you know, your fullness signal. So when you're tired, you're directly, you know, you're hung, more hungry. Um, it also uh, causes insulin resistance. So basically makes you crave more sugary things. Yeah. So, um, you know, lack of sleep is associated with weight gain. It's also associated with cortisol, makes you, it directly increases cortisol secretion. It decreases stress resistance. Um, you know, it helps you, a lack of sleep is also, you know, decreases your immunity. So you're more likely to get ill. And when you're ill, you're more fatigued. When you're more fatigued, you're less stress resilient. Yeah. Um, so it's a vicious cycle. Um, sleep is also so essential for, you know, creativity, for, you know, your ability to um, find logical and, and not just logical, but also just to, to, to hear yourself think. Yeah. Um, just a quick one on on a couple of the to bring a couple of the threads together here around like alcohol, sleep, what as and mental health. As someone who tries to prioritise those, now I know more about them, and I, I imagine some of our listeners will have these problems. When you try and prioritise some of those things, you can get labelled with the with with the B word, which is boring. And I, I find it I find it a fascinating cultural thing that. If you try and look after, if you try and look after yourself, I kind of the for me the impact of like drinking less, sleeping more, uh, looking after your mental health is that you are you you turn out to be less boring, as in you can do more with your life. So oh. I find it weird that it's that way round. But... Oh my, I, I completely utterly can empathise. Um, I mean, I don't drink, um, and it doesn't. It doesn't mean I'm boring. You should see. You should see me on the club. I went to a club on this Friday. Went to Blues Kitchen in, in Brixton um, with all my friends, and I, I was dancing like a mad person. <laughs> and you know, just because you don't drink doesn't make, mean that you can't have fun. I mean, there's that yeah. big distinction. Just because you want to sleep doesn't mean I go to bed at. You know, if I go, to, it just means that if I go to bed at two a.m. one day, the next day I tend to have a bit more of a lion or I have a nap. You know, I'm. You know, or I. You, you find a way of making sure I, I reclaim that sleep. It doesn't yeah. make me boring at all. I mean, I, trust me, I talk to my friends. I'm one of the least, <laughs> I've, got, I've got a lot going for me. And But I, I, I have to do these things because basically all I find is it gives me more energy. And if you have more energy, you have more vitality. And if you have yeah. more vitality, your whole impact on, your whole outlook on life changes. You're more Absolutely. cheerful. You're kinder. You're, you're, you can achieve more. You're, you can help more people you can have add so much more value to the yeah. world where if you're burnt out and, and ill and you know miserable if you're miserable then what good are you to end well actually if you're miserable you, you can help yourself to get out of that situation yeah. just, it's not a flaw no. you know, yeah at the end of the day but at the end of the day you can add 
so much value to the world if you're your best self and yep. all i think about is is it's not boring and it's not you know don't be bitter be better yeah i love I, lo- I love that and in terms of being better one of the things that we talk about in the world of work at the moment which i'm, I'm struggling to get my head around a bit because i understand that being resilient is really important and an important part of life but there's a sort of debate at the moment around that companies use resilience training as, as an excuse to not fix a for example, a toxic work culture. I know resilience, Laura, is something that, that you're interested in. Could you could you start off by telling us what resilience is as a starting point? Sure, absolutely. Well, I am the queen of talking about it. As I've said, my family always calls me Tigger, which means that I always bounce back. But basically, to me, um, resilience is very, very simply just the ability to know that whatever life throws at you, you can fight back um, and, you know, you, you can survive any challenge. Mm. um and so and but i do agree with you there's this big idea i think we've had a bit real big openness just like openness in mental health where everyone's been very accepting and i think with the recession and and uh, that's coming and and you know the cost of living crisis and everything and the, the jobs we're going to have less and less jobs and so there's going to be more and more competition and as a result of that i think jobs you know it's going to be harder and harder you know i think there's going to be i'm really worried there's going to be a big uh, anti mental health swim back Mm. Um, and you know all this vulnerability that people have been encouraged to come out with is suddenly going to be seen as weakness yeah and that scares me a lot because of the fact that you know at the end of the day at the end of the day if you are if you are struggling it doesn't make you weak yeah and, and not only that you know you could be struggling at one moment but then three months later be the strongest and best version of yourself so it's you know it's very transient yeah uh, and me- mental health is you know not your your is not a permanent state um it's it's very much we vary it varies with your environment the people you're around your you know what you've eaten what you've the sun level of sunshine your seasonal affective disorder and you know your your vitamins your minerals vitamin d levels you know affecting depression and omega-3 and all these things and so the idea that i i am scared about you know is as you said about this whole idea of resilience being seen a lack of resilience being seen as weakness and all this resilience training kind of being used to filter out people um, and I don't want it to be almost a form of I'm worried it's going to land up being almost a form of mental health discrimination yep. you have got had or or are going through a, a mental health you know upset suddenly find themselves you know not getting the jobs that they deserve because of the fact that you know someone else there out there hasn't declared that yep. and it doesn't mean they're not necessarily going through it but they just haven't been as open and vulnerable and so I think that when we're talking resilience training, I mean, I've, I've actually written loads for companies in terms of resilience training. Um, and I've, I've, you know, I'm, I, I, I really want to make sure that I'm not ever propagating the problem because at the end of the day, when we come down to resilience, it's very personal and, you know, no one can possibly know what's going on in someone else's life. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, you know, you know, it's always, I always say, you know, no matter, you know, you might have to be a multi-millionaire and you might, or you might be, you know, someone who lives on the street. But at the end of the day, you can never dismiss someone's hardships. It's, it's completely, you know, somebody who's a multi-millionaire might have be absolutely going through the hardest time in the world where they've lost the people they love. They, they're lonely, they're miserable, they've got nobody, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and then it, it's, it's all so subjective and, we can never judge anybody else because you never know what's going on behind the scenes. And the end of the day, it's like hands on, it's like fingers on a hand. You know, we're, 
we're, we're you know we all we're all different shapes and sizes and we're from different places but at the end of the day we're all we're all you know still still fingers yeah um, and you know at the end of the day i i'd i'd hate to think that companies are, are seeing are going to at all with all this resilience training are, are going to use it as a way of of, of uh, creating a, and, and permitting a toxic work culture that doesn't necessarily encourage and, and you know lead to to the occupational health changes that help reduce individuals and employees stress because you know i do think that companies are hugely responsible for creating an environment that is it that is that is passive or um and uh, you know uh, is uh is sorry is actively encouraging a positive um stress reducing you know uh pleasant um and um you know you know optimizing for sleep and optimizing for health um of of their employees because you know at the end of the day it's like that Maslow's um, Maslow is this um uh theory he has this idea these theories on, on what makes people feel safe and secure and happy yep. and basically he has this triangle and basically if people's you know basic needs are fulfilled and you know they feel secure they feel happy they feel you know like they are in a, an environment that is you know encourages them to be their best selves they're going yeah. to be the most productive and so i'd hate to you know put it the onus on the individual that they need to go away and be they need to go you need to go away and be more resilient when really it, it's yeah. very much a mutual thing where both the company needs to be working to make their company the best version it can be so that their employees can be the best versions of themselves and then the individual also has to be working on their own self-care and together it's, it's it's about working together to find an to to find uh, an outcome that makes both the company and the employee the best um working relationship so that they can be the most um productive and you know make the most amazing work well Laura, I, lo- I love i love that point on it on it being a collaborative thing that responsibility on both sides and i can't believe we've been chatting for 30 minutes already we knew we wouldn't we would we wouldn't struggle um for things to talk about so one just just to go into just to go into wrap up and um, one of the things that i just want to finish up on and you've described yourself twice of this in your career as sort of like someone who can ex- scientifically explain some of these like quite complex things when you're talking about hormones and how it impacts us and how that plays through to work so if you were working in HR Laura like many of our listeners and Mm -hmm. you've heard a lot of these concepts today and you've become interested in it where 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 would you start with this like to start helping one that foundation in the culture like to to, to create a safe space and from a company's perspective like where where would you start if you were starting from a from a from a blank a blank sheet of paper? What would you start to draw on that blank sheet of paper to sort of build this environment so our employees can thrive? Okay, well I'm gonna say hey hey Mr. Boss, um, resilience training. Yeah. I want to say that first of all it's 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 it doesn't work. We need to have a collaborative approach. So whilst so what you need to be doing is you need to be working really hard to basically make sure that you have that open communication with all your employees. You need to be making sure that your environment, you create an environment that basically optimizes for your employees to be the best versions of themselves, yeah. which encourages your employees to have sleep, 
that creates boundaries allowing digital detoxes, that encourages exercise, that helps your employees to practice acceptance and gratitude, um, and to build up the healthy coping tools that they have for any stresses within the workforce. So whether that be to, you know, help them to do fun, mood boosting, stress reducing leisure or hobbies, um, such as choirs, team sport, creative classes, or learning a language, or, you know, providing them the opportunity to, you know, uh, learn about healthy eating, um, because when you've got low blood sugar, you're more likely to feel fatigued, impulsive and irrational. Um, and alcohol and sweet treats cause sugar highs and lows, which decrease street sleep, um, increase anxiety, depression, and decrease resilient distresses. So, you know, adding more fiber, omega-3s, omega and processed food um, can help you to maintain your energy levels. Um, and that can help people to, you know, maintain their mental focus and then overcome challenges at work. Um, you know, also it helps them to boost their immune system. You should also be encouraging your your in your employees to make sure at lunch they're getting out and getting some sunshine, especially in places like yeah. England where we haven't got very much vitamin D. Vitamin D is needed for your immunity and also for your mental health. Um, and we should also be ensuring that you know that all of this messaging is going out to the employees in a positive way. That's not suggesting that by not doing it they're weak, but also it's just it's just in, you know really educating them on, on the benefits to their they're going to have to their whole of their both their personal and their their professional lives they should also be doing things to like for example if any of their employees have you know uh you know encourage things like standing desks which help their employees to stay more fit um and prevent you know things like osteoporosis um you know or you know do things like take the stairs campaigns and things like that or you know or do away days which are fun and you know, bonding time so people can you know, you know really build up communities at work especially with people working remotely um because if you don't feel part of a company you, you know you're not going to really subscribe to a company culture and increasing friendships and and solidarity um makes it more likely that you know people you know i know a lot of companies very much just see employees as a resource that's you know uh, at the end of the day and, and and it shouldn't be like that it should be a mutual thing where you know, both they're adding, you're, you're adding and they're adding too. Yeah. Um, and also very much, I'm really going to hammer this home. And, and that's the idea that, you know, if, if your employees do, do do get ill, both either mentally or physically, you do lose that resource. So, you know, that, that person goes away and on sick leave or whatever, and they, they're miserable, they're ill, they're not having their best life. Yeah. You're actually creating a void in your company where you're missing out on that and then you're creating stress for other people because that lack of resources meaning that somewhere else that 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 hole that that hole has to be filled by somebody else who then has to potentially do too much two times as much work which yeah. creates more stress for them and then you've got you know this this idea that then the whole company lands up going on and creating this kind of exponential stress machine which it shouldn't be it should be you know working hard to reduce company stress and overall just to you know, fight. If you're all working together and you're all on the same page, you're you're all going to be the best version of yourselves and have the best company, be the best company it can be. And it's it's totally all about culture. Wow, Laura, um, that is amazing. We've connected up so many dots today, and I would love to ask you another million questions about so many of these points. But I'm going to end by just saying thank you, um, and say that we need to we need to book in some kind of follow up for for our listeners and. If you are listening and you've got questions for Laura, 
please please message them over and perhaps we'll regroup um, and go through some of that because we've covered so much today, Laura. But I just want to say on behalf of myself and our listeners, thank you for taking the time to share all that insight and knowledge with us. Yeah, well, it's been an absolute ple- pleasure um, talking to you, Matt. And all I can say to your listeners is that whatever you do in your life, you know, just try to live live for today and you know live for what today has an offer and not for what yesterday has taken away and just be your be the best version of yourself and yeah happiness is 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 not is not a fixed thing it's it's a journey and whatever whatever life throws at you you can survive i love that thank you laura thank you